I don't have a specific Bible passage for you to turn to today because I've got like a dozen. And I'll tell you right now that it's your job during the week to look those up and read them. I'm just going to reference them because there's no possible way we could turn to each one. But I want to hit them all. So this is part two of the sermon that we started last week, Building Motivation and Expectation for 2022. Uh, under the theme of jumpstart, infusing some energy into our system, uh, renewing our thought processes, uh, getting us looking ahead and thinking about what I can do, what my life will look like, what my spiritual life will look like in 2022. So this is kind of our pre-New Year's sermon series before Christmas. And so last week we looked at Revelation 2 and 3. We looked at the seven letters to the seven churches. Uh, that were also written to us, and we said, what are the encouragements we can take from these letters, and what are the warnings we can take from these letters? So we talked about the encouragements and the warnings. If you weren't here last Sunday, I'd encourage you to get on the website, find the sermon link, listen to that sermon, because this is part two. We're pretty much going to pick up right where we left off. We ended the day with some summaries and conclusions, and and today we want to expand those summaries and conclusions. So let's just start with number one. Studying God's Word is more important now than it's ever been before. It's more important now. We need to be protected from false doctrines and false teachers because there are more false doctrines and false teachers now than there ever has been. Some rotate through. We get the old teachings in a new package. Um, Some leadership goes away, but they're replaced. There's There's more on TV, more on social media, more books being written, more people telling us not what the Bible says, but what they want the Bible to say, not who Jesus is, but who they want Jesus to be, and not what God is doing, but what they want God to do. And it doesn't match Scripture. So there's more of that going on, so we need to be in the Bible more. We need to have a a blueprint of what God actually says So when someone tries to tell us something that's not true, we can spot it. The Bible will also guide us. It will guide us through our life. It will give us boundaries and instructions. It will encourage us. It will inspire us. And we need need those things. We need to be inspired by the Word of God. We need to get excited sometimes about what God is doing and what God is going to do. We need to be encouraged by what God has already done because that's the evidence of what He will do in the future. We need to see how he's kept his promises so we can believe that he will keep his future promises. Studying God's word is more important now than it's ever been before. And I want to give you some more scripture, things we didn't talk about last week, just to emphasize this point, the value of God's word. So Hebrews 4.12 tells us the word of God is living and active. It uses the term sharper than any double-edged sword, powerful for, for penetrating the heart and soul. So it's active, it's, it's powerful, it's effective, and it's insightful. It, it gets right down to what we need. So the Word of God is living and active. It, it might be up to 5,000 years old in some parts, Genesis and Job and things like that. And it might be a couple thousand years old, Revelation and, and the Gospels. But over those thousands of years, it has remained relevant, it has remained true, and it's just as good for us today as it was for them when they wrote it. It's all inspired by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit inside of us helps us understand what's being said. So it's living, and it's active, 
and it's powerful. 2 Timothy 3.16, that's the verse that says, uh, talks about inspiration. Scripture comes directly from God. It's exactly what God wanted it to say. Therefore, it's useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. It's, it's a letter, if you will, from God. There's lots of letters, there's lots of documents, but encompassing all together, it's a letter from God. It's, it's communication from God. And it's good for a lot of things in our life, spiritually in particular. Matthew 4, 4 says the word of God is, is life-giving source for all mankind. It says man should not live by bread alone, but by the very words that proceed from the mouth of God. Our spiritual life is fed, it's nourished from God's word. And it, it helps us live our physical life better, more productively, with more meaning and purpose. 1 Peter 2, 2 says... God's Word is spiritual nourishment that helps us grow up spiritually. It's meat, and it's milk. And it says if you've been drinking milk too long, you need to move on to meat. You need to start taking in the, the greater things, the, the, the doctrines. You need to learn who God is, His characteristics. Not, not just the Jesus loves me part, but the what happens because Jesus loves me part. So it's our spiritual nourishment. And Acts 17.11 says God's Word is the truth by which all truth claims are judged. It's the truth. It's not a truth by which we judge other truth. It's the truth. It is the unchanging, the unchallengeable, the unwavering truth of God by which everything else is judged. So if it doesn't line up with God's word, we set it aside. We recognize it for what it is, it's either intentionally false or it's mistakenly false. Either way, false is false. We don't listen to it. We don't follow it. We identify the truth and we may share it. Someone who's unintentionally false would enjoy that correction, but we don't follow it. So God's Word is living and active. It's directly from God. It's useful. It's our spiritual nourishment, and it's the truth by which all other claims are judged. There's other scriptures there that definitely didn't have time to go through, but a bunch from Psalm 119 and James and 1 Peter. Here's the application from this conclusion. Number one application, be involved in as many Bible study groups as you legitimately can. I chose those words carefully. Involved means participating. Attending is good. Being an active participant is better. I'm going I'm to do what's asked. I'm going to engage in the conversations. I'm going I'm to seek out what God's Word has to say. I'm going to be involved in as many Bible study groups as legitimately can. Obviously, you can't skip work. You don't neglect your family to be in a Bible study. But there are times and places where something is available to you that you could take, take part in. And I encourage you to do that. There's a variety of studies held at a variety of times for a variety of different people. And, and one of the reasons they're not all on Wednesday night or all on Monday night is so that those who are available at different times can participate. You're in church today. Good. Good job. You should be in church today. That's your number one starting place for studying God's Word. It, it's where you check in. It's where someone else has prepared a sermon for you. It's where God is speaking. The Holy Spirit in you is interpreting. You need to be in church. And this is... You know, today I might step on some toes. I want you to know I'm doing it on purpose. I'm going to be nice about it, but I'm going to step on toes. And maybe some people listening online need their toes stepped on as well. 
Here's how you approach church. Church is the thing that you do on Sundays. It's the thing you do on Sundays. Everything else should be planned around it. And if you're going to miss, it better be for a really good reason that you're perfectly happy to tell God about and expect Him to go, okay, I understand, that's good. You're, you're okay. Now, you know, if you want, it don't, you know, don't use me as your conscience because I'm just going to say, well, I hope to see you next week. Use God as your conscience. That's the level church should be. It should be your top priority for Sunday. It, it's the place that we should never miss out on. Sunday school is like bonus land. You know, if you're at the grocery store and there's a sign on the door that says, spend $10, get a free dozen eggs. Most of us, when we realize we spent $10, are going to go, where's the eggs? I want the free dozen eggs because I spent $10. Well, Sunday school is like, I'm already here. Let's take the bonus time of Sunday school. By the way, Sunday school is when we have our best sharing time. It's when we have our best prayer time. It's when we have our best discussions. And, and we're not in a hurry. We get as far as we get, and we save the rest for next week. Sunday school is, is bonus. It's, it's free. It's in the middle. You can come to first service and stay. You can come to Sunday school and stay for second service. That should be right up there on the top, too. Uh, Bible studies. Bible studies. If, if there's not a Bible study that meets when, when you can meet, start one. Uh, figure out what to do. Uh, don't, don't just say, well, it's, it's not there. I'm going to be tired. You know, if something important's going on, you're not tired. Okay, let's just be real. Okay, if, if something is important enough, you're not tired. You can get up early for certain things, so getting up early is not the issue either. Small groups. There's a men's group that meets on Monday morning and sees. There's ladies' groups. There's various things. I remember Peggy one time. She says, I want to start a small group. Is that okay? Absolutely. Well, what do we do? We said, well, Peggy, I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know what's allowed. Well, if it's focusing on God, it's allowed. You can have a group that prays together. You can have a group that encourages one another. You can have a group that opens up God's Word and studies it together. You can, you can listen to a podcast together. You can do a lot of things. So she started a group. You can start a group. You can get involved in a group. Those are places you can go. Here's things you can do. Podcasts. You know, I listen to a John MacArthur podcast almost every morning. It's not because he's my favorite person to listen to, but I have found over the years that he's my favorite set of content to listen to. I really appreciate what he says. Um, I've listened to Alistair Begg before. I listened to Focus on the Family. Uh, I listened to uh, some political things from a Christian perspective and a news organization that gives me the news from a Christian perspective. I use podcasts to help me think biblically and to teach me the Bible directly. There's devotionals, the old standby, get a book, read it every day, look at the scriptures and pray. Things you can do on your own. Christian music is a great way to tune your mind to think about God. And, and there may be, uh, you know, a Christian music that's based on scripture. That last song we sang, that was full of scripture. I hope you saw it. That's what made it so good. I'm, I'm hearing the throne room of Revelation described. Who is worthy to, to open the scroll? There's no one worthy. Oh, but there is. Christ is worthy. The Lamb is worthy. And He comes and He opens the scroll. Christian music is a great thing. Be involved in the Bible. Be involved in the Bible as much as possible. And then number two, this goes right along with it, application. Read God's Word like you're trying to gain wisdom and understanding. 
Don't just read it to accomplish the goal or the task. Don't just read it because you were asked to in your group. Don't just read it because that's better than nothing. Try to figure out what it says. Try to figure out what it means. How do we do that? Pay attention to the key words. What's the big word that I need to know what means? If I don't know what it means, I need to figure it out. What's the transitional word that tells me we're changing something? What's the small word that tells me good news is coming or a warning is coming? What's the repetition? What's the context? Who's speaking? Who are they speaking to? What nation are they speaking to? What time period are we in? Are we at creation? Are we in the nation of Israel? Are we talking about future events? What's the purpose of the writing? Is it, is it to encourage? Is it, is it to instruct? Is it to warn? What type of writing is it? I'm going to read poetry differently than I read historical narrative. I'm going to read that differently than I read a proverb. I'm going to read that def- differently than I read um, prophecy. What's the application? What am I supposed to get from this? What are they trying to tell me? How does this affect my life? If we read Scripture with these things in mind, all of a sudden it, it has a lot more meaning to it than just hearing the narrative or reading the story or getting to the end of the poem or whatever the case may be. We need to read it like it matters, like, it's, like our life depends on it, like our livelihood depends on it, like it's the manual for fixing us when we're broken. So God's Word is more important than ever before, and we need to read it uh, like, like, we, like, like it affects us in a big way, and we need to be in it a lot. That's, that's number one. Number two, conclusion from last week, never forget your past, your present, or your future in Christ. Remember the phrase, you've forgotten your first love from one of the letters? And then we talked about the mission that these different churches had. Never forget your past, your present, or for future. Never forget what you were saved from. I was saved as a child, so I was saved from a life of, of progressive sin. I was saved as an adult. I was saved from a life of sin, out of a life of sin. I was selfish, and I've learned to be loving. I was destined for hell. Now I have eternity in heaven to look forward to. What were you saved from? Who were you before you were saved? What were the characteristics of your life? What were the goals of your life? What were your motivations? How did you respond to people? How did you treat people? How did you think about yourself? How did you think of God? Don't forget where you came from, because that may be the very thing that allows you to minister to somebody. And it is the very thing that reminds you of who you are now and what Christ has done. So we move to your present. Right now in your present, you're a child of the King. You're in the family of God. You're part of a church. You're an ambassador representing God to others. You're a light that shines brightly. You're the salt of the earth. Okay, what else are you? You're all kinds of things. You are redeemed. You're a new creation. You are righteous. You are pure in the eyes of God. You are not what you used to be. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And then your future. What is your future? Well, the rest of my life is an increasing change to be more like Christ. I will become more like Christ as I mature as a believer. I will serve God more. I have purpose now. I have something to live for. I have things to accomplish. And after that, I have 
eternity in heaven with God. On the new heaven. On the new earth. Where things will be so different. I'll be living life like it was intended to be lived. I'll be experiencing what we were created to, to experience physically. So I need to remember where I came from, who I am now, and where I'm going. These will all encourage us. These will all give us strength. They will all define our purpose. Let's look at these references. Romans 6, 17, and 18 tells us that you used to be slaves to sin. Now you are aligned with God through your obedience and are free from sin and are now slaves to righteousness. So who I used to be, slave to sin, okay, who I, who I became, I became aligned with God. That's who I am now. I'm free from sin. That's who I am now. Okay? 1 Corinthians 6, 7 through 11, we used to be sexually immoral, idolaters, thieves, greedy, drunkards, slanders, and swindlers. That's who we used to be. Okay? We used to be sinners. And, and we, we filled all the categories. But now we are washed. We're clean. Okay? Now we're sanctified. We're set aside and justified. We're made righteous by the Spirit of our God. So we have who we used to be, and we have who we are right there. 2 Corinthians 5.20 I am an ambassador of Christ by whom God calls the lost. I am the one that God is using to call the lost. I, I represent Christ everywhere I go in every setting that I find myself. Matthew 5, 13 and 16, we are the salt of the earth. We give flavor, we preserve, we make things better. I'm the light of the world. Truth shines through me. God's truth shines through me, is spoken through me, things like that. Never forget your past, your present, or your future. What's the application? Live as if you've been saved from the worst possible outcome ever. Live as if you have been saved from the worst possible outcome ever. The worst possible outcome ever is hell. We've been saved from hell. We just stop thinking right there. We have a lot to be thankful for. We have a lot to respond to. And so we respond to the person who saved us from the worst possible outcome ever. And we say, because you have saved me from the worst possible outcome ever, I will live for you. I will live your way. I will follow your commands. I will live by your principles. I will do your bidding. I will serve your purposes. Live as if you've been saved from the worst possible outcome ever. And then serve the one who accomplished this salvation. A believer's purpose in life is to serve the God who saved them and fulfill the purposes he has. To share Christ with others, to serve the body, to praise and glorify him. That's what we're here to do. So we make that our priority. We make that our, our thing. And by the way, you can't do number two unless you're doing number one. See the connection there? You, you, you can't stay in tune with who you are in Christ and what your purpose is in Christ. And, and you will forget who you were before Christ if you're not involved in God's Word. Number three is going to be the same way. It all, it all goes back to God's Word. Let's look at number three. Number three says, don't give up. Don't give up. You know what Satan says to you? Give up. It's hard. Give up. 
It's taking too long. Give up. You don't see the outcome you're looking for. Give up. God's not doing what he said he'd do. Give up. Quit. People around you aren't responding the way you hoped they would. Give up. You're actually suffering because you're serving, so you might as well quit that. It's not working out well. Give up. That's what Satan says. God says, don't give up. Even when it's hard, even when it's painful, even when it's confusing. And I said this last week, it will be hard, it will be painful, and it will be confusing. There will be times when, in all honesty, you say to others and to God, I don't know why this is happening. I don't know what the good that can come from this is. I don't like it, and I don't want it. That's the confusing time. But you can respond to that by saying, but I will not quit serving God because he's in charge, he's in control, and he is my only hope to get to the other side of this in one piece. So I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up praying for the unsaved. I'm not going to give up living the correct life at work, at school, wherever I do my hobbies, in my home. I'm not going to give up. And then he adds this. The reward is so much greater than the pain and hardship. The reward, the thing that's coming in the future is greater. It might be in this life, it might be in the next life. In eternity, the rewards are plentiful, and they're easy to spot, and they will be based on your life here. The rewards here may be harder to see, but if we open up our eyes, we can see them. Let's, uh, John 4, 3 through 5, says the one who is greater, the one who is in you is greater than the one in the world. Who is in you? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is greater than the one in the world. Who's in the world? Satan. If there's a fight between the Holy Spirit and Satan, guess who wins? The Holy Spirit does. Every time, by every set of rules, in every circumstance, head to head, God is more powerful than Satan. God will put Satan in his place one day. He will enter into the lake of fire, which was prepared for him. Right? The Holy Spirit is more powerful. His guidance is the best guidance. His conscience is the best conscience. His instruction is the best instruction. We don't give up because we have the Holy Spirit. He's working in us and he's working for us. 1 Peter 1, 3-5 says, Our inheritance cannot perish, spoil, or fade. It cannot perish, spoil, or fade. The things that God has for us, because we're part of his family, can't be taken away. They can't be stolen. They can't be lost. They, they won't decay. They won't rot. They're not connected to weather. They're not connected to time. Our inheritance cannot perish. Okay? And then, and then he adds this in that passage. Christians are shielded through faith by God's power. Christians are shielded through faith. That was interesting. I really hadn't caught that before. Christians are shielded. Shielded from what? From hardship? No. From disease? No. From sin around you? No. What are we shielded from? We're shielded from the long-term effects. We're shielded by God who says, I will never give you more than you can handle. But with every test, every trial, every temptation, I'll provide a way to escape, and I'll give you the strength to stand up under it. Christians are shielded through faith. If I'm believing in God, he's going to be there right beside me, walking along the way. The only time he won't be there ministering to me is when I'm saying by my actions or my words, I've got this, God, don't worry about it. 
say, okay, fine, I'll be here when you're ready. So, the future reward is an inheritance that cannot perish, but the present reward is that God shields us because of our faith. John 14, 2 through 3, Jesus is preparing a place in heaven specifically for us believers. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. If it weren't so, I wouldn't be telling you that I am. And if I'm going to prepare a place for you, you can be pretty sure I'm coming back and I'm going to get you because why would I prepare a place that I'm not going to take you to? So I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'll come again and I'll receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. So we have a specifically designed place for each of us in heaven with Jesus. He's preparing it even now and we're going to go there one day. That's part of the reward. Revelation 22.12, I love this one because it's super clear. Each person will be rewarded according to what they have done. Each person will be rewarded according to what they have done. What have you done? I've served God faithfully. There's a reward for that. I've shared the gospel. There's a reward for that. I gave generously to those in need. There's a reward for that. I, I suffered persecution for your name's sake. There's a reward for that. He's going to reward you for the things you've done. I encouraged others. There's a reward for that. I prayed for others. There's a reward for that. I made sure that no one, no one was left out when stuff was going on at the church. There's a reward for that. I, I took care of my neighbor's place. There's a reward for that. Jesus is preparing a place for us, and in that place, the, the, we will be rewarded according to what we've done. So I need to be doing stuff, right? Because we're supposed to seek that reward. We're supposed to be looking forward to that reward. Hebrews 11.6 says God's, God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. Studying my Bible, there's a reward. Praying to God, there's a, there's a reward. Listening to the Holy Spirit, there's a reward. God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. I'm going to try to figure out what God's saying to me, and I'm going to try to figure out how to follow it. I'm going to have faith in Him that this will be successful if I do it. There's a reward for me. Matthew 5.10 says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Very strange sentence outside of the context of Scripture. Blessed means happy. That's why we say blessed and not blessed. Because that's a different meaning in this passage. It's blessed. It's happy. Happy are those. Not like, oh, goody, I get to be persecuted today. I hope they hit me with something hard. That'd be good. A headache? A wound? Oh, that'd be good. No, it's, it's happy. Like, I'm, I'm actually happy that my service to God is making a difference. It's the joy and the peace from within provided by the Holy Spirit in the midst of the persecution. It's how Stephen looked up while he was being stoned to death and said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And it's how he looked up and he saw heaven open up and he saw God on the throne and Jesus next to him. Happy are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. There's the hope that I can take it. There's, there's the reward of the future. Romans 5, 2-4, suffering produces perseverance, character, hope. It, it's, it's a long list, that's a summary. It produces these things, so that, there's my earthly reward. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to gain the ability to keep on going, to persevere. I'm going to gain the character uh, of someone who represents Christ well, and I'm going to gain hope for a future. Galatians 6, 9, if we continue to do good, we, we will eventually reap a harvest. 
If we continue to do good, we will eventually reap a harvest. Reap a harvest does not mean bring in a good crop. Reap a harvest means we're going to see people get saved. So we don't stop praying for the unsaved. We don't stop handing out calendars and cookie trays and things like that at Christmas time. We don't stop taking the time to answer questions and having conversations with people. Okay? Because if we continue to do good, we will eventually reap a harvest. Eventually doesn't mean today or tomorrow. It means in God's time. We may not even know the role we play. And that's okay. 1 Timothy 4.16 Persevere in living out your faith and doctrine. You should be living out. It will save you, save both you and others. That's an interesting phrase. Persevere. Don't give up. Keep going. Don't grow tired. Don't grow weary. Run the race of living out your faith and doctrine. Live out your faith in God and, and build your life on what he says, your faith and doctrine. That, okay, living out your faith and doctrine will save both you from a lot of trouble, from a lot of anxiety, from a lot of negative circumstances because you're already saved, right, from sin and others. And I think that is the saving from sin. It will reach others. It will help you. It will help them. There's a few more verses there you can look at on your own. Here's the application of don't give up. View your relationship with God as a lifelong project that you and he are working on together. A lifelong project. If you are lucky enough to get started on that project young, wow, how exciting is that? If you're lucky enough to be saved as a child or a teenager and you have all those years to work on that project together, that's exciting news. Because the places you can go with Christ are amazing. Here's the good news for the rest. If you're saved at 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, God does not got less for you. He's got as much for you. Maybe he's going to grow you faster. Maybe he's going to show you more things. But by all means, when you get to heaven, you get the full dose of Christ. So no matter when you're saved, it's a lifelong project. You can't say, oh, I'm 80 years old, or I'm 60 years old, or I'm 90 years old. You know, pick whatever number you think old is. You can't say, oh, I'm this old, so I'm done. Don't need to read anymore. Don't need to grow anymore. Don't need to be in church anymore. Don't need to serve anymore. No, you're not done. It's a lifelong project. Don't at age 13 say, well, I've got a lot of life to live before this matters. No, just as wrong just as wrong it's a lifelong project sanctification is what we call it number two view your role in god's greater plan as significant and valued no matter how big or small known or unknown you are god has it all worked out every person every place every gift every ministry every divine appointment it's all part of the master plan and every single part is significant, and every single part is valuable. Therefore, your role in God's greater plan is significant and valuable. Don't discount that. Don't say, well, I'm just somebody that lives in Calf Lamet. Not, not much going on here. I'm, I'm just a kid going to school. I'm just an old person living in my house. I'm just this. I'm just that. No, you're not just this or that. You are a part of God's plan. You are significant. You are valued. And as a significant and valued 
person and part of God's plan. Don't give up because your part is important. And then number three, trust God with your sufferings, hardships, and persecution. How do you trust God? Well, you say to Him a lot, God, this is your thing. You're in charge. I, I, I just got to believe that you're going to take care of me. And you're not going to give me anything I can't handle. And you're going to walk beside me all the way. So let's go. I'm not going to run from it. I'm not going to ignore it. We're in this together. You lead, I'll follow. That's how we trust God in our suffering. So we need as much of God's word as we can possibly get. We cannot forget where we came from, who we are, where we're going. And in the difficult process, when hardship, pain, and confusion come, we don't give up. Here's, here's kind of bringing it all together at the end. A healthy, well-rounded, content, joy-filled Christian life includes. That's our goal. Your goal should be to be a healthy, well-rounded, content, joy-filled Christian. If, if that describes you, you're in a good place. It doesn't mean you don't have farther to go, but that's a good thing. That's our goal. So that person, that life includes, A, as much Bible as you can re- reasonably take in while living your life for Christ. There's the old saying, don't be so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. Okay, you, you don't want to be a walking encyclopedia that spouts off verses that are irrelevant and nobody knows what you're talking about. You've got to live a life that, that begs the question, if you will. So as much Bible as you can reasonably take in, okay? That, that well-rounded, content, joy-filled Christian life also includes involvement in the church. Involvement in the church. Let me say that word so it has more meaning. Involvement. Not just attendance. Involvement in the church. So that you gain support, friendships, prayer partners, wise counsel, opportunities to worship, to give, to minister, and be ministered to. What, what level of involvement are we talking about? Well, sometimes, let me throw this out there. Sometimes that level of involvement means that you're a two-service member of the church. That means you come to one service to do this. You stay for the other service to do something else. It means you're here for church and Sunday school because you can take in in church and you can give in Sunday school. It means that you're, you have a place to serve during the other service. So you're not just willing to give that hour and 15 minutes or that, that two hours and 15 minutes, but you're willing to give the full three and a half hours, whatever it is. I didn't do the math. I just made up those numbers because they sounded right. But you're willing to put in that, that full three and a half, four hours because you're not only here to receive, but to give. And you're, you're here to be involved. So, so you're going to volunteer to be in the nursery. You're going to volunteer to teach the Sunday school class. You're going to help out with this, that, and the other as, as needs come up. You're going to be involved in stuff. Involvement in church. Now, not everyone needs to be a two-service person. But I can tell you right now that the hardest job to fill in this church is, is nursery. And the hardest commitment to get people to make is Sunday school. And we need more of that. Maybe you, maybe you, maybe God's calling you. Don't do it to make me happy for Pete's sakes. That's a worthless effort. But maybe God's calling you. You know who, who makes great nursery workers? Young grandparents who want to practice, who love kids, who are still young enough to do it. Not great grandparents. Uh, you know, great grandparents walk out of the nursery with a backache and a sore knee and a headache. You know, you, you need that, that balance there. 
Who, who always winds up working in the nursery, usually? The moms? The moms? Maybe the moms and dads could work together. Maybe the younger grandparents, those who hope to be grandparents. It's not for everybody, but it's definitely for somebody. C. Well-rounded, content, joy-filled Christian life includes meditation on God's promises. I don't use the word meditation a lot because it's got all that touchy-feely garbledgook in it, and I don't like that, but it fits today. Meditation simply means to think about it for a while. Let it soak in. Let it be on your mind. You should be thinking about God's promises. Wow, I, I read my Bible today and I saw this promise. What does that mean to me? What, is it, what did it mean to them? What is God saying in this promise? What's he accomplishing? What are the principles of life that I need to live by? What are the principles that God's given us? How, how does that affect me and how am I better off by living according to that principle? Uh, what are the commands? What are the actual do not do and be sure and do things? What are the rules and regulations? What are the doctrines? What's the big picture? What's the inner workings of God and man? What's, what are the doctrines? Meditate on these things. Think about them through the day. Discuss them with other people. Ask God to enlighten you, to show you other scriptures. You're going to as much Bible as possible. We're going to be involved in the church, actually involved in the church. We're going to meditate on, on the things we find in scripture. And D, we're going we're gonna to be filtering all perspective truth through the filter of God's inspired truth manual. Every truth that someone tries to tell us about is going to be filtered through God's Word to identify whether it's really true or not. If it's really true, it's, it's already there. If it's, if it's new truth, it's, it's not truth, and we don't need it. And E, a healthy, well-rounded, content, joy-filled Christian life includes making sure that your spiritual power and energy is being invested. Okay, this is much like B. I just said it a different way because I wanted to say it twice. It's invested. Making sure your spiritual power and energy is being invested, not stored up. There's no value in storing up your faith, storing up your ministry, storing up your gifts. Make sure it's being invested. There's nursery again. Look, it showed up twice. There's Sunday school. Fellowship committee. You know, we don't really have a fellowship committee. We have a fellowship when I get a wild hair and say, wow, it's been a long time since we had a potluck. We should have a potluck. That's where we have potlucks. You know, if we had a group of people that that was their thing, like God's actually called them to produce opportunities for fellowship and, and companionship, that would be, that'd be good. Maybe God's calling you to be a small group leader. Maybe God's calling you to be an usher. Maybe God's calling you to maintenance. Maybe God's calling you, well, those are the things I can call you. Here's participation things, heritage luncheon. Just let me put a challenge out there for you. If on the first Tuesday of the month, around noon, you're sitting in a chair at home, or you're on the computer at home, or you're not like actually doing something that you have to do, come to Heritage Lunch. Be a part of the fellowship. Be a part of what's happening. Just to participate. Just to be around other believers. Just to be an encouragement. Okay? Wednesday night discipleship. Wednesday night discipleship ebbs and flows. You know, when it's light outside, we have more people. When it's dark outside, we have less people. We have more people when we begin a new topic and less people when we finish the topic. We have a variety of all these things. Wednesday night discipleship. If you're at home watching TV on Wednesday night, make the investment, make the time, make, take the energy, come be a part of things. Uh, get to know men with men. 
women with women. When camps and retreats come up, here's how you handle camps and retreats. When we say, hey, there's a women's camp coming up, it's in March. You get your calendar out, you look at it, you look at the dates, you write in your calendar, women's retreat. So you don't plan anything else that day. And then when it's time to register, you figure out how to find that money. Spend your coffee money. You know, spend your husband's money. You figure out how to you figure out how to go. And you go to grow, to be a part of things, to be encouraged, to get to know other women. Same for men. Uh, we're gonna be announcing men's roundup, men's camp. It's in September. Okay? It's it's the, the week after Labor Day, the weekend after Labor Day. And, and I'm going to encourage all the men to go. As soon as that's announced, write it on the calendar. Women, you keep the calendar, write it on the calendar. Put it in like bold red letters so your husband can see it. That's how we plan for camp. It's, it's not a, oh, I'll see if it works out or if I get a better offer. It's, hey, you know what? I'm going to be part of this. This is good. Community efforts like the calendars, like the cookies we do, things like that. Make sure that your spiritual power and energy is being invested. Spend it somewhere. If all you have left in your body is a prayer line to God, then dedicate an hour or two of your time every day to praying for fellow believers and for unsaved people, for our country, for our church, for other churches. There's always something to do to invest that spiritual power and energy. Father, thank you for the second half of this sermon. Thank you for speaking to us. Thank you, hopefully, for pointing out areas where we need to grow, where we need to expand our our life, our attention. I pray that you would direct our paths. You would put thoughts in our mind. You would arrange our life so that we can serve you best. And as we serve you best, that's the energy boost we need to receive all the rewards for all the promises to be in effect and for our hope to be, to be strong. And that's when we're going to make the biggest difference. So Father, help us. Give us the jump start we need to move into 2022, irregardless of whatever chaos surrounds us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.